Baseball today starts right now on a Kokomo Friday. Scott White, this is the final Kokomo Friday of the regular season. How does it make you feel deep down inside? It's uh, wistful. To make it feel like you want to go to get away from it all? I just want to get away from you and go to bed because it, it's actually Friday. It's it's twelve eleven Eastern time. This is the latest we've ever podcasted before you are right and uh this this is the lengths you push me to i'm sorry i'm sorry i I mean i was a little hurt there for a minute where you're like i want to get away from you and i was like well (laughs) you are right i did i did push us the longest because i was out at the arizona fall league seeing everybody's favorite mr joe adele who i think many of us listening would love to be seeing in the major leagues but he is out here doing work in the arizona fall league and i've been doing that uh, all week. It is super, super hot, but we will plow through on this beautiful Kokomo Friday. You are, I mean, I know you're tired, but you also did say you might be at peak energy from Mountain Dew to uh, microphone. This no. might be peak time. No, no, this is post-peak. This is post-peak. Oh, I got I, you on the usually, downturn? Uh, I usually enjoy my Mountain Dew, my Code Red Mountain Dew, or other caffeinated beverage. In the hour leading up to the podcast. And and now it's, you know, it's three hours past at this point. Well, okay. I I mean, to be fair, I think it's good for all of us to be on our toes and be ready for anything. Just like we have to be in the fantasy playoffs. We have to be ready for a curveball at any time, code red or not, Scott. (laughs) That was... That was a segue. That was a segue. I did that. All right, thank you. Well, uh, we got a whole bunch to cover on this beautiful Kokomo Friday. Lots of two-start stuff. We got a ton of your emails. And I know your fantasy playoffs, they are in maybe a firm grasp or maybe slowly slipping. Some guys that definitely helped you out here, at least on Thursday. Mike Clevenger went six, nowhere in runs, struck out six. You had Masahiro Tanaka pitch a very nice outing. Seven, one earned run with six strikeouts. Jordan Lyles, who we talked about, this is a dicey one because he didn't qualify. He just missed the qualification, you know, had it been. Four and two-thirds, gave up one earned run, but he did have nine strikeouts. Joe Musgrove, who I have to, you know, just press Scott White. He begrudgingly has to talk about him. Went five, two earned runs, and six strikeouts. And Jack Flaherty, eight with one earned run and eight strikeouts. Of those players, though, do you have any worry? Let's take a Tanaka for a second. Any worries about Tanaka against Texas next week? Uh, I, I wouldn't be an automatic start for me. He hasn't been an automatic start all year. The splitter, he at least got results with it in this one. It was responsible for uh, over half of his swinging strikes, and that's been kind of the issue for him all year. Um, he's been better of late, but not not the Tanaka we've seen in the past. I think it would depend on the strength of your pitching staff. It would depend on how many starts you need, but he wouldn't be automatic. There was one Probably, that, but he wouldn't be automatic. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, it's going to be relative. You know, luckily his start's going to come like later, a little bit later in the week for your, you know, you'd be able to dissect where you're at if you play into the final week. I thought this was an interesting one, and, and I'm curious before I, uh, <laughs> I bring the mood down here in a minute. Anthony Kay 
with uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, he didn't start the game. There was an opener. Font went two innings on the opener, but Kay then went four innings, two earned runs with three strikeouts. He ended up, you know, he got the win. And I feel like a lot of people are going to Kay because they see him out there. They know the prospect pedigree, whatever you take from that. And people want to start him. I had a lot of questions about Anthony Kay, and I kept being like, nah, blah, don't do that. But he's got Baltimore next week. If he's in this same situation where they're only going to use him four and they use an opener in front of him, do you think it's worthwhile at all if you're even in des- desperate need? I, I don't. I don't. I don't trust him, even with that matchup. I don't trust the role he's filling right now. He had a lot of walks in the minors, especially later in the season. And I think it could go disastrously for you with a limited ceiling because he's probably not going six. So I I don't think I'd do that. Well, while guys like Flaherty and Clevenger and even Tanaka were doing all the wonderful business, these guys might have killed your playoff hopes or set you back pretty, pretty bad. Andrew Heaney, five innings, six earned runs, eight strikeouts, but three walks. He's got Houston next week. Aaron Nola killed me. Five innings, <laughs> nine hits, five earned runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. Uh, he's got that was against Atlanta. He's three of his last four, by the way. He's given up four or more earned runs, and he doesn't have a win since August twentieth. He's got Washington next week. Kyle Gibson, he, his name was popping up. One and two thirds, three earned runs with four strikeouts. Kyle Hendricks gave up four and five and one third with six strikeouts. And Mike Montgomery only went four, giving up five earned runs with three strikeouts. How about Aaron Nola? For Actually, I mean, Heaney and Nola both don't particularly have matchups that I love. Nola is no. obviously, you know, in a different uh, category here, but he's got Washington. Heaney's got Houston next week. Are either one, I mean... I bet I could answer the Heaney one for you that he's not an automatic in Houston. He's actually probably almost a, a, a definitive sit. But is right. Nola an automatic against Washington for you? Yeah, Nola is an automatic. It's it's the same thing we were saying about Trevor Bauer and Hyunjin Ryu earlier, who, by the way, both turned things around. And, and Nola hasn't even been, hasn't even quite sunk to their level, you know, in terms of struggles. What, I, what I'm seeing with Nola is it's not like he's regressed to what was happening early in the year where his, his arsenal was just ineffective. I mean, he's, he's been getting plenty of whiffs still during this rough patch. I, I, think, it's just, I think it's just a rough patch. That's all, that's all it is. And nobody you can find on the waiver wires is capable of matching what, he's, uh, what he has a chance of doing against Washington or against anybody because he's that caliber of pitcher where when he's going well, you don't pay a second thought to the matchup. So yeah. I, I'm not going to here either with my season on the line. Heaney, yes, absolutely. Take him out. Astros, he, uh, you know, tons of fly balls, seven home runs in his past four games, just way too dangerous. And uh, hasn't shown any kind of consistency for you to trust him. Hendricks is probably more in the Nola class. I don't think he's as good as Nola, but he's been so reliable. I'm not, you know, one four earned run start isn't going to steer me away from him. Oh, okay, that's good. So I mean, he he falls in line with that range where you're you're not going to be scared off at least. Yeah, I mean, if if it was if it was longer term struggles from him, I I don't think. I, yeah, he's not quite of the Nola class of pitcher. He's he's just behind that. He's more in like, uh, what's a good comparison? Maybe like the Zach Wheeler range for me of pitcher. Uh, but he's he's fine. I mean, one 
one so-so start and a four and runs in five and a third innings, that's just a so-so start by today's standards. That's not really the kind of disastrous start we see all the time for good pitchers. I, I think he's fine. Your preparation for next week starts right now, whether that's going to be uh, prepping into this weekend, whether it's going to be getting ahead for you to try to get your two start pitchers. We are going to cover a lot of that. Kicking right off with you, Mr. Scott White. Where are you out on your two-start pitchers? I've got a list here of some other things we're going to look at with two starts, but I know there's at least one name on the list that is not going to uh, counteract here. So give me a couple of your top two-start pitchers for the final week of the season. There are only two sleepers using a cutoff of 70%, let's say. I think they might even both be owned in... No, I think I think 70% has to be the cutoff. There are only two that... I would be willing to recommend across all formats. One of them is Denelson Lamette coming off that 14 strikeout effort Wednesday at Milwaukee where, uh, you know, he, he made, he made the breakout case for next year a little more obvious in that start. I feel like because he just showed the extent of his bat missing ability, which has been the rate of swinging strikes has just been across all 13 starts. It's that first been tremendous. It's that, been elite. First matchup against the Dodgers doesn't worry you though. Uh, it's a when you're talking about a sleeper, I don't think there is a perfect sleeper. So I would I always go for skills over matchup. Okay. And I think compared to the other uh, other kind other pitchers of that same ownership range, Lamette's skills are there's no comparison. No, you're it's right. It's a little worrisome. Yeah, yeah the the Dodgers are the uh, one of like you know maybe two teams where I see them come up and I'm like, nah. you know, that's how I was with Blake Snell. I was like, nah, I don't want to do that if there's a question. But you're right. He falls in line with that high strikeouts. It is the Dodgers, but at least it is a home game. Okay, so who's number two then on that list? I like that Lamette one. Alcantara. Oh. Or I'm sorry, Alcantara. Let's say it right for once in our lives. Let's go. Sandy Alcantara. You're loving that. I, I mean, I just, I love it. Of course. And I it's do. not even that the matchups are that special. It's just been, he's, it's just that he's really stepped it up in terms of uh, innings and strikeouts and like particularly from a points league context, if you're just looking for somebody to give you a lot of volume. I there there doesn't seem to be much indication the Marlins are going to shut him down early and and limit him and and cut that two start those projected two starts down to one. And uh, I think I those know. are the Mets and the Phillies next week, which uh, those are fine. Yeah. Those are fine matchups. Nothing too too worrisome. Yeah. Now I I do want to before we go any deeper into the two start discussion because there's nobody else who's really going to excite me there, but I do kind of need to give an overarching statement on how this is going to work the final week of the season. Beautiful. Things are going to happen that you don't see coming until the day of, and it's going to happen a lot. You mean uh, this guy not getting the start, this player is now pitching in this game, that type of stuff? Yes, probable starters, they're mere suggestions. And that's always true. That's why they're probable starters and not you know, set in stone starters, but especially this week. And one point one is that you shouldn't it you really shouldn't be targeting any two start pitcher with the assumption he's going to make two starts. You need to target him comfortable with the idea that he may only make one and that that second start would just be a nice bonus for you. 
And so if you're not comfortable using a pitcher, if it was a one start week, you probably shouldn't be using him just because he's projected for two starts this week. Cause there's a very good chance he doesn't end up making two starts. And that goes on the high end too. Right now, uh, pitchers like Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer are projected to be two start pitchers. Well, I think there's almost no chance the Astros start Cole on Sunday because they're going to be setting their rotation up for the playoffs. What you have seen at times over the years, just because it's their day to throw like a side session, they may make like a like a two-inning start, a two-inning tune-up start, and still line up to start the first or second game of a playoff series like Cole would do. That may happen. He may technically make two starts. But there's a chance they just skip them all together. And the same goes for Scherzer if the, if the Nationals... Uh, lock lock up that that first wild card spot. You know, if 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 it doesn't go down to the wire, then uh, then they're going to want him ready for presumably that that one game playoff as opposed to having him pitch Sunday. So, you know, you're going to start those guys whether it's one start or two, but it's something to keep in mind. You shouldn't really count on two starts from Cole or Scherzer. In fact, you should probably count on them not making two starts. Jake Odorizzi, you know, he's kind of a little fringier, I think, in, in terms of when he's only making one start than those other two. But considering that first start is at Detroit, I think you go ahead and run him out there. Just don't expect him to make that second start at Kansas City. And uh, I think those are the main ones. Patrick Corbin scheduled for two starts, but I think there's a pretty good chance he ends up making both because he would only be the Nationals' number three option, presumably. So, yeah. I think, that's, I, I think it's good because it is a volatile time where people get worked up you know, because it is a playoffs, tensions are high. He said it was a two-starter. Well, you know, also maybe, always my little caveat, you play to the end of the season, you're playing with a little bit of fire. You know, when you've got so many guys on the rosters and you've got uh, playoff matchups that are in hand, they want to, teams are going to start setting up their playoff run and moving pitchers around. So you are right that you have to proceed a little bit with caution if you are in heavy reliance of two-start pitchers. So I think that was a good uh, public service announcement that you gave us here. So with that, now I'm going to throw some two-start pitchers at you that you have to tell me. I want you to pick one because you got Sandy in there who was a part of my two-starts part one. So I'm going to give you two names on each of these. You pick, and then I'm going to go with a Hail Mary and this is obviously subject to change for everybody. But as I look at the matchups, it might not be the worst thing in the world. Two-start Part one, because uh, Alcantara and Lamette are your big guys this week. Alex Young, who's got St. Louis and the Padres, or Zach Eflin, who has got the Nationals and then Miami. So neither one of them's first matchup may be particularly fantastic. The second one obviously looks a lot better. Alex Young or Eflin for the final week of the season, if you were two starting it? They are very close in my rankings. I do believe I have Eflin ahead because I trust him to, if he pitches well, to pitch deeper into into the game than Young. But it's it's close. It's basically a toss-up. And neither of them, I think, are of the caliber. I mean, especially since the good matchup is the second start. I, I don't think either is of the caliber meets the standard of you have to be comfortable with them only making one start to slot them in for this particular two-start week. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, two starts, part two. This might be an easy one. Brett Anderson, who has got the Angels and then Seattle, or Adrian Hauser, who has got two road games. These are both under 45% owned, but they're since at Cincinnati and at Colorado. So is this an easy Anderson? It's an easy Anderson who's been pretty 
bankable this year. I, I guess boring's the term I keep using. Like if you're looking for a boring pitcher in this environment, somebody who is going to give you five or six innings without risk of a lot of damage, I think you look for the elite ground ball guys, you know, the ones who aren't obvious studs because you know so much off- offense just in general is so reliant on home runs. Somebody like Anderson doesn't give up home runs, and he's been you know, boringly reliable. Boringly. I think I just made up an adverb there. I like it. I'm in for that. I'm in for making yeah. up words. I do it all the time. Uh, how about the deep two-start Hail Mary pass? Colby Allard, who has got not good matchups, Boston and New York, but they're home games, or Spencer Turnbull, who's got Minnesota and then the White Sox. Hail Mary pass. Allard or Turnbull. Yeah, so if you're having to go this deep, I, I don't think Turnbull's a bad play. Obviously, you're hoping he actually makes that start against the White Sox. Since he's a Tiger, and obviously they're not resetting their rotation, I think there's a pretty good chance. But um, his his past two starts, the the whiffs have been up closer to where they were at the start of the season, closer to what he profiled as coming up through the minors. And uh, I know his manager, Ron Gardenhire, uh, talked about that rough, I think it was a 13-start stretch, uh, just leading up to last start where he did an ERA of like 750 and how... He was kind of like trying to get more movement on his pitches and not just, you know, not just being reliant on the stuff uh, and, and kind of went back to the what he was doing more at the start of the season, which just trusting is the, the natural movement he has on his pitches to help his stuff play up. And I was pretty excited about Spencer Turnbull earlier this year, so hopefully he can put a put an exclamation point here on 20. 19. Obviously, it's a risky play, but I think there's some upside to it. And that's why it's a Hail Mary pass. Hey, this part of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Indochino with the promo code FBT. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They've got tons of options if you're looking to outfit your wedding. Guys love the wide selection of high-quality fabrics and colors to choose from, not to mention the option to personalize the details, including your lapel, lining, pockets, buttons, and writing your own monogram. Here is how it works. You visit a stylist at their showroom and have them take your measurements personally or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. Choose your fabric, choose your design customization, submit your measurements and your choices, and relax while your suits get personally tailored and mailed to you in just a couple weeks. This week, our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $3.69 at Indochino.com when entering FBT at checkout. That is 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code FBT, for any premium suit for just $3.69 and free shipping. Incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Now, digging a tiny bit deeper, I got a weird play for you. Want to get want to get weird here. You didn't want to get weird with Anthony Kay. You want to get <laughs> weird with Ross Stripling? He followed up Caleb Ferguson last uh, his last outing, and he went to... Could he possibly get into two games this week where he comes yeah. in maybe the third or fourth, lines up for maybe two wins this week, and is a sneaky play because he doesn't show up on those two starts? Well, I actually did move him into my two-start rankings, though. Will they be actual starts or will they be, you know, entering in the second, third inning? I The way the Dodgers have been managing their pitching staff, it's anybody's guess. But yes, I do expect him to pitch two chunks of two or three innings. 
Maybe he stretches it to four. And the matchups are uh, are good. San Francisco and San Diego, I believe. So that's, I mean, you could do worse. It's it's not an advisable play because of that role he's filling. It's not one I'm going to suggest across all formats. But Do you like him over, like, say, that Brett Anderson play? I do not, looking at my two-start pitcher rankings. In fact, I have Stripling behind even Spencer Turnbull. But it kind of depends on what you need, right? I yeah. think I think if you're not necessarily angling for a win, you're looking for ratio help, uh, Stripling would probably be a better bet in that case. But there's sneaky. a chance he does get a win, even if it's a short stay. It just depends who the Dodgers decide to lead with on the days he's pitching. Yeah, and, and if he's effective, that's why you could have a guy go two or three on the front end, then he could go three or four, and he could line up for the win. That's what that's what makes him interesting, especially because the guy you could go slot in, if you play in a relief pitching type of a spot, you can go slot him over there for some different formats. Uh, we did have some games going down on Thursday. I got a standout for you, and I'd be curious if you've got one. This dude has been on an absolute run in September, and you want to talk about the ups and downs of rookies overall. We've spent a ton of time, and we're going to talk just a little bit more about you know a bunch of the good prospects that we've been adding as of recent. This guy got that run, but then tapered down because of average. But Kevin Biggio went two for five with three RBIs, hit his 15th homer on Thursday, was hitting 333 with two homers and four stolen bases, plus eight RBIs coming into Thursday in the month of September. He has been a really solid play that we haven't talked a ton, ton about after hitting for the cycle just the other night for everybody in their playoff run. And a lot of people are going to take Kevin Biggio with them in their brain walking into 2020 for what he did in the playoffs for them. Yeah. And because of some of the players losing second base eligibility next year, at least in CBS leagues, uh, the most notable of them being Javier Baez and uh, I can't remember the other guy, somebody high end. Uh, Kevin Biggio checks in 14th in my first edition of the second base rankings for 2020. That's aggressively optimistic. I like it. Well, I'm, I'm saying second base starts to look thinner than you think it does. Yeah. Uh, Cause I have Gavin Lux 13th. I have Ryan McMahon 15th and then, you know, Robinson Cano checks in at like 18th and you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fond of Robinson Cano right now, but anyway, back to Biggio. I've noticed a couple things about him during this, hot streak that's forced me to take a longer look. I was under the impression that his high fly ball rate, though good and though helping his power production was, was part of what contributed to the low batting average. He actually has a 306 BABIP though, a league average BABIP basically. And not what you'd expect from somebody who's being hurt by his fly ball rate. So what's really hurting it is just the strikeout rate, which is very high, but he has, uh, at least a couple days ago when I was looking, Biggio would have the second best walk rate in baseball behind only Mike Trout. And so I think the strikeouts, and uh, I was actually reading an article that suggested the same thing, the strikeouts are more about him being too patient than just struggling to make contact. In fact, his swinging strike rate is... Uh, in the upper half of the league in terms of being low. So it's not like he's swinging and missing. He's just taking too many pitches. And that's something that seems pretty solvable. I, I wanted to jump in there. Cause you, this is really interesting before the show we were talking about, cause I was like, all right, I'm here. I'm here. 
you know, after going out to the Fall League and we were talking about that. And, and Scott, you said something interesting to me. You're like, yeah, do you find that helpful? You know, that I go, I go out to a lot of minor league games. You're like, do you find it that it's more helpful or is it more fun? You're just kind of like weighing which one it was. And I was going through some of the motions of telling you about like, yeah, I get to see a lot of intricacies about players when I see them a whole bunch. I get to see things that, you know, the stat lines might lie about. And I've been talking about what you're saying right now about Kevin Biggio for the last year, because what was so interesting to me when he was out here in the Fall League last year is I saw an at bat that lasted for probably it felt like I mean, it felt like two minutes, but (laughs) he didn't. You know, it might have been the whole all three at bats. He never took the bat off of his shoulder. He ne- whether he was getting strikes or whether he was getting walks, he is the most, I don't want to even know if I want to say patient as much as it is stubborn player to get his pitch. It reminds me of kind of like old school, like Carlos Santana, where you'd see the high walk rates. You'd also see the strikeouts. It is exactly the player that he is. He's tooled out. He's multi-positioned. I don't know. I don't know if the patient's Breeds that he's got an incredible eye for the ball long term. If he's seeing the pitches so great, I think he's actually always going to be a guy that hits for a lower ish average. But you're right. You absolutely nailed it that he is a guy that it's not so much that he makes poor contact, is that he just waits and waits and waits for his pitch. And if it re- results in a walk or a strikeout, that's ultimately where he's at. So it's kind of leveled off his, uh, I think it kind of levels off his future output a little bit and unless he makes an, uh, an aggressive change to that, unless he starts deciding right. to get more aggressive. And he, that's we have to see if that happens. He has so much to work with, though, that if that's the only thing holding him back and from what I can tell it is like, I, I think that's a very positive sign. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. I like that uh, you pulled that one out. You got any uh, Thursday standouts? Anybody that jumps out on the page for you? I not. Not really a performance. Well, yeah, let's let's go to Eduardo Rodriguez because he has been he he's he's turned it up a notch here. He has been on a, a long run of lowering his ERA. Now in his past fifteen starts, two twenty one his ERA and fifteen starts. His past seven starts, it's one the ERA for Eduardo Rodriguez. And more recently, his past four starts. He's suddenly missing a ton of bats. He had 10 strikeouts and six scoreless innings uh, here on Thursday. 21 swinging strikes. Three of his past four starts have been among his four best swinging strike starts this season. I'm not seeing anything different in the arsenal, but this is closer to the Eduardo Rodriguez we've come to know than the one we've seen for the majority of those 15 starts where how is he pitching this well? when uh, he's allowing the sort of contact he is. I wasn't totally trusting in it. And I still don't I still don't really know what to make of it because it's a lot of conflicting data all over the place. But what it's led to is he has a shot now. You look at his overall numbers. Got to figure he's making two more starts this year. He has a shot of, if he does make two starts, I should say, he has a shot of being, a, of reaching 20 wins, okay? 200 innings and 200 strikeouts. Now, 20 wins, obviously very valuable in fantasy, not something that we're normally going to predict for anybody. But 200 innings and 200 strikeouts, those numbers stand out to me because that was kind of my rough uh, my rough definition when I was kind of defining what an ace could be this preseason. That's what I kept referring to. Somebody who has a reasonable shot at 200 innings and 200 strikeouts. And now Eduardo Rodriguez might meet those thresholds. Now, I, I don't look at the rest of his numbers and think of him as an ace, but 
I mean, it's it's really the the final stat line is going to be pretty impressive. You know, if you, if you take the injury proneness out of the equation with him, that's always been there. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. He's he's somebody who I think is might might get a lot of love in drafts next year. Yeah, he was a, he was one of those sleeper guys coming into this year that now it might be a big breakout conversation. Uh, a hey, real quick email. Mitch says, hey, Welsh, the, I'm in the championship in my 6 by 6 head-to-head categories league, thanks in part to a savvy trade for Darvish at the deadline, and I have one transaction left to use on a streaming pitcher. Who should I go, if, go for? Now, one of the reasons I bring this up, too, I'm going to give you the names. Uh, we did it in the last episode. I think it's valuable for this being one of the two final shows. I want to look at the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday options at pitchers, and we are going to do that, and these guys line in here. So here are his options for his one streaming pitcher. Drew Smiley, which is Friday at Cleveland. Austin Voth at Miami. Trevor Williams at Milwaukee. Cal Quantrill uh, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. You've got Asher Wojciechowski versus Seattle, and Jordan Zimmerman versus the White Sox. You have one. Who do you pick? I'm punting. I don't want any of them. I don't. I don't I love trust it. I love the help. answer. I, I think. I think all of them present too much risk of just of just destroying you. And I. I'd, I'd rather not. I mean, if if you have to use that transaction on somebody to fill out a lineup spot, it's a, it's a, a weekly. I'm, I'm sorry, it's a daily lineup situation. I mean, you pick up a reliever instead. I think somebody with good ratios. I don't want to. I don't want to put my faith in any of these guys. Maybe Ross Stripling is out there because he wasn't starting. Maybe someone cut bait. But okay, so wow, I I do think that's pretty um that's that that's a pretty telling thing for you to see all these options and you don't even have a guy. You're like, well, if I had to, it's just no. This is a firm punt. But I think it tells you where you need to be, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you're going to force me to pick one, I would say Trevor Williams, but it's at Milwaukee, which even without Yelich, I mean, obviously it's a tough place to pitch. And he's just didn't do so well last time. Yeah, like he, he's just too contact prone and not reliable enough. And I'd be I'd be afraid. I'd be afraid to do it. Be very afraid. Uh, our buddy Trent says, hey, guys, I am in the championship in my 10 team head to head points league and I have one start left this week. Pitchers are a high priority in this league. I'm sure, my friend. So there really isn't a lot to choose from. My only decent choices are. Tyler Alexander versus the White Sox, Ryan Yarbrough versus the Red Sox, and Lance Lynn versus the A's, and he puts if he actually starts. I'd prefer to start Lynn, but I'm seeing a lot of conflicting reports on if he actually is starting Sunday or on Tuesday next week. Any insight? If he is not starting Sunday, would you prefer Yarbrough or Alexander? He's the right call if he is starting Sunday, and uh, I don't have him among my two-start pitchers this upcoming week so i'm assuming that means i'm projecting him to go sunday but obviously you can wait to find that out uh yarbrough would be my second choice it's i mean when you're making the the alternative tyler alexander i don't think i don't think there's any debate to be had there i understand the matchups talking different colors of socks opposite ends of the spectrum but always go with the skills over the matchups because a lack of skills you're just you're just asking for luck it doesn't matter who they're facing 
I completely agree. We've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday pitching to take a look at for all of you that are dragging and you're just like, come on, help me, help me. But first, we've got to go take a look at our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek promo code Fantasy. Searching sporting events, live music, comedy, and more has never been easier than with SeatGeek. SeatGeek has tickets you're looking for all in one place. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, if you look over on the App Store, they've got 50,000 five-star reviews. That is some awesome customer satisfaction. Finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. SeatGeek breaks down the details with green dots, meaning good deals and red dots are overpriced, and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I've got the SeatGeek app, and I think I told you guys last time, me, Bogman, and another friend, we're going to go see Kevin Smith and Jay, uh, whatever his name is. It's a Jay and Silent Bob. They're doing the uh, the rebooted series, and they're coming out here to Phoenix for a comedy special, and we are going using SeatGeek. And SeatGeek is going to give you $10 off your your first SeatGeek purchase right now. All you got to do is use our promo code FANTASY. Download the app today. Use promo code FANTASY for 10 bucks off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase with our friendos at SeatGeek. All right, Friday pitchers. I know this is different. Audience is still adjusting to these. We don't usually do this from a day-to-day breakdown. I just thought it might be a little There's not many days left. Yeah, (laughs) There's so little days left and so little shows. So, Friday pitchers, I put together a list of five that I'm curious at your take on. We've already you've already kind of hit Drew Smiley, who was 16% owned in CBS. He's got Cleveland. I did find it interesting. 20 Ks and only four earned runs over his last three starts, but we've already covered that. Anibal Sanchez, a very, very favorable matchup, one of my favorites. 66% owned, though, so he's right at that threshold. He's got Miami. Jordan Zimmerman, who popped up a bunch and you did also give your answer to. 8% owned. He's got the White Sox. And here's two more. Eric Lauer, who's going up against the Arizona Diamondbacks, 29% owned. If you don't count his start at Colorado, he's gone six in his last three and struck out eight or more twice. And then Dylan Cease, 43% owned versus Detroit. His last start, five innings, one earned run with five strikeouts and three walks. Those are some talkable pitchers here for Friday that we could get into that aren't, you know, 70-plus percent owned. So what do you think about that crew? You've already kind of eliminated Zimmerman and Smiley. So Sanchez, Lauer, Cease, anybody get you excited, like someone you got to get out there for Friday? I, I think because of the matchups, and it wouldn't be a got-to-get-them-out-there situation. It would be a, I, I have to get somebody out there or I'm finished. I would go with Anibal Sanchez whose skills I don't totally trust, but he's been fairly reliable this year, and Marlon's obviously a good matchup. Dylan Cease, who's looked a little better of late. Tigers is obviously a favorable matchup. But if it is a shallower situation where maybe you don't even have to look this far down, I do want to point out Mike Fultonevich is facing the Giants, and Merrill Kelly, who's put together a few good starts, is facing the Padres. Uh, I think there was one more, too. Let me see here. Uh, no, that's probably it. Those would it, two would be would my it be preferred Mike options Fires? over ADPs. Would it be Mike Fires versus the Rangers? No, it wouldn't. You're not going to start Mike no, Fires? No, Mike Fires, Mike Fires has turned the corner and is going to set fire to your ratios if you start him. I put it on here. I was like, can you start him? I just wanted to hear what you had to say. So, All right, so what's the order? Is it Sanchez and you go C- is Cease 2 over Lauer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I... I uh, let me see Lauer. I'm in, I'm pi- I'm going to tell everybody I'm picking up Lauer for a Friday start here. He's been decent as of recent. The Diamondbacks, <laughs> um, which is a nice little rhyme. The Diamondbacks yeah. have just kind of been 
they've been blah for the last two weeks. There's a lot of stuff and going on with their lineup. So I'm I'm putting Lauer out there on Friday because I need it. Probably without Cattell Marte. Yeah, he's still sitting. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a desperate situation, but I guess Lauer would be third if we're just ranking the pitchers you've listed here. Sanchez, followed by Cease, followed by Lauer. For the Friday starts. Oh, and by the way, I'm not sure... I'm not sure if you caught this, and I just caught it a few minutes before going on, but there was a report this morning. It sounds like Mookie Betts. I only bring this up because I mentioned Cattell Marte, who's not officially out for the season. Well, Mookie Betts isn't either, and it sounds like he could be ready to go this weekend, Betts. And that's a big deal. Actually, when we get to the news and notes, there's a guy that I thought was done for the season that played today, played on Thursday. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to commit to putting these guys on the IL, which expanded rosters. That that's the case. It's one know. of those. It's one of those unexpected pleasantries of this part of the season, where at this point, with the final two weeks, I see any big player get hurt. I'm like, they're done. They're just done. They're going to shut the guy down. And yeah. then you get this pleasant surprise where a guy like Anthony Rizzo uh, does not, and he gets back in there. So Mookie Betts yep. could that could be a big deal, especially for you guys that play uh, two starts. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, going into the Saturday starters here, I have got three for you. Now one is a little bit cheaty. But I want to start with Justice Sheffield, who's 35% owned. He's got Baltimore, four and one-third, five earned runs, though, but eight strikeouts in his last start versus the White Sox. Johnny Cueto, who's up to 50%. He's going against Atlanta, though, but he's been really good. Ten innings, only given up four hits across those two starts, no earned runs, and six strikeouts. And then the oft-talked about, oft about Zach Plesak. He is 76% owned, but he is getting he didn't get the two starts. He's getting the one start versus Philly coming off of that complete game shutout where he struck out five. So Sheffield, please at Cueto. How would you rank these guys on Saturday? Cueto. And then I guess Sheffield. Uh, I don't I don't feel great about Sheffield or Plesak. Cueto's the one I feel good about. Okay. Cueto, I could get behind, even though it's the worst matchup Atlanta. Now, what about Saturday? Do you have any worries on any guys that might be like, like take, you know, Quintana, who's going up against the Cardinals, hasn't been necessarily fantastic. You yeah. could, um, I mean, I, I don't want to say all the names for you here, but do you have anybody in the Saturday matchups that you have uh, a worry about? Well, look, if you're debating Plesak, I'm sorry, if you're debating Quintana, who hasn't been great lately, like you said. If you're debating him and somebody like Justice Sheffield, you go Quintana. I don't think you get cute with that. Um, but if uh, you know, if you're not forced to start Quintana, then it might be better to steer clear of him. I wanted to bring up Manaya, but I mean, I think he's so owned and so valued at this point. Just it's a you know great matchup at home versus Texas yeah. on Saturday. No, Manaya's Manaya's up there with Fultonevich in terms of you know they haven't quite gotten to universal ownership yet. But I'm more or less thinking of them as. Must start, I'm more with, or less. Yeah, I'm with you. Now, Sunday, this is this is the interesting one because, again, I mean, Scott has given you the good caveat of like, hey, listen, everything can change. There's so much here. This could be, uh, I play leagues that end this weekend. I know some of you go on to the two weeks, but this could be make or break here. Here are three names for you. John Means, I know we talked about earlier in the week, seventy or 67% owned versus Seattle. He was five and two-thirds, but five earned runs in his last start against Detroit. Pablo Lopez who is only 30% on, he's got the Nationals, and he was pretty good against the Diamondbacks recently. Six three-earned runs with six strikeouts. And Adam Plutko, 44% on, went six, two-earned runs with six strikeouts against Detroit last. So, Plutko, Lopez, Means. 
How do you rank them? Probably Plutko one because I give him a much better chance of getting a win than Means. Though Means versus Seattle, I think that's a good enough matchup that I could get behind playing him too. I don't know about Lopez against the Nationals. I don't think he's significantly better than Plutko or Means, neither of whom I'm particularly fond of, I'm particularly trusting in the skills. And obviously that Washington matchup, yeah, particularly since he's on the Marlins and there's not much hope for a win anyway. I don't think there's enough upside to justify the potential downside there. Now, there are two really interesting names that are going Sunday that I think there'll be a lot of questions about. You, you kind of touched on it last episode, but let's make sure we're honed in here for Sunday, where Brandon Woodruff, who is going, who is lined up to pitch on Sunday against Pittsburgh, and then Garrett Richards, who his last start in his return, three and two-thirds, three earned runs, but five strikeouts. So... Woodruff, Garrett Richards, those are bigger names that aren't getting the full run. What do you think about guy? And I and I'll even open it up if you want to take a look at like the Saturday starts and whatnot. Do you see if you felt Garrett Richards and Woodruff were just their talent is so high and they could be in line for the start? It's worth overgoing Plutko. It's worth overgoing uh, uh, Johnny Cueto. So what do you think about those two? I don't think so. I, I mean Woodruff. I, I'm not even sure there's a case to be made for Richards. In terms of that, I, I mean, he's he, he wasn't, you know, he hadn't quite reached that ace level before having Tommy John surgery. You know, a significant injury he's coming back from the minor league rehab assignment was pretty shaky, and his first start back from the IL was pretty shaky. So there's no reason to bother with him. Woodruff, at least, he was an ace before getting hurt this year and basically reached that level of usage and fantasy. And uh, really strong in two innings when he returns. It's just three innings is all I give him a chance of going against Pittsburgh. So other than a ratios play, I don't I don't see the point. Well, maybe not so much the desperation plays. Uh, anybody on Sunday you're worried about that is of note that you want to note to people? You look at it and you're like, I mean, Dallas Keuchel been reeling a little bit. He's going up against the Giants. Trevor Bauer, nah. I know Trevor Bauer is clear of it now, and he still is in that line, but there's always a little bit worry. Martin Perez, good matchup, but you know he is who he is. Any worries or no? No, I don't think so. There's also a lot I mean, of Lynn, not I feel great good. Lynn's going. been kind of shaky, Lance Lynn, but I, I pointed out after his last start that the skills still seem pretty impressive for him. Keuchel, it was just a one-start rough patch. Uh, not even a patch. You know, I just had a bad start last time out, so not worried about him. And, yeah, I don't think so. I, I think, uh, you know, Matthew Boyd against the White Sox. Uh, if it was any team other than the White Sox, I might worry about using him just because he's been so vulnerable to the long the long ball here in the second half. But I'd be okay with it. Uh, I'm seeing Ryan Yarbrough against the Red Sox, who I recommended earlier when the alternative was Tyler Alexander. Yeah. But I think if your main goal is to preserve ratios as opposed to get strikeouts and wins, then you might think about sitting him. And maybe just punting the whole thing. If Because remember, that yeah. guy had Alexander... Yarborough or Lynn and if Lynn didn't go instead of trying to put one of those two in you just say thanks but no thanks unless you're just you know desperation Sunday's it it's all over yeah I, I don't I wouldn't go as far as saying Yarborough is a desperation play against the Red Sox it just depends on what you need certainly if you need more points in a like points league context fine stardom it's categories league though and you're mainly concerned with preserving ERA and whip 
probably better to go with no one as opposed to Yarbrough against the Red Sox in that case. Uh, we have a good bullpen email, but let me set the stage on the bullpen for Thursday because a couple interesting notes. Craig Kimbrell was uh, back in action. I thought it might take a couple more days. He returned, but he picked up a loss. He went two-thirds of an inning, gave up an earned run. In the same game, Carlos Martinez probably destroyed some people uh, this weekend or coming into this weekend as he blew the save for Flaherty. So the Flaherty owners got hit. Then if you had Martinez, you got my hands. Yep. Yeah. He went, I got to really use that win from Flaherty today. <laughs> he went one-third of an inning. He gave up three earned runs. A couple other interesting notes. Uh, Keone Kella, who we talked about because of the uh, Vasquez situation, he ended up pitching the ninth. And I just wanted to note that he pinched the ninth. Uh, pitch the ninth, but they were going into, they were tied up and they're going to extra innings. He had a, a fine inning. He gave up a bunch of hits, one inning, gave up three hits, but he got out of it clean with one strikeout. Uh, we saw Eric Swanson. He got his first save with three strikeouts and extra innings for Seattle. And Mark Melanson got his 12th save, but it takes us to the email where our friendo says, good afternoon, gurus. My closers were hand Kimbrel and Vasquez. So essentially, I have no sources of saves currently, and the gap is closing in the standings. Guys like Lugo, Kella, Workman, and Melanson are available, however. There you who, go. Who do you like to try and get a few more in the last week? Thank you so much. I put a couple other names out there. Um, Workman, who got his 15th save on Thursday, and Jairo Diaz was the most added closer on CBS. So I thought that was interesting. So who okay. are you adding? Lugo, Kella, Workman, Melanson from his list. I would probably go, let me see how many games each of these teams are playing next week. Boston has seven, Atlanta has five. Okay, that answers my question there. I'd go Workman over Melanson. And uh, so we're thinking based on the way he was used today, Kell is definitely the guy for Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm assuming he pitched the ninth in a tie yeah. game, which I thought was positive. Yeah. He was kind of yeah. next in line with the, um, you know, with the experience. So Home game for Pittsburgh, so, you know. It would make sense for them to not save the closer for a save situation. In that scenario, they have six games, so Kella would be third. So again, Workman, Melanson, Kella. And then I would go Lugo with Hero Diaz bringing up the rear. Okay, there you go. There's some a uh, little bit of pitching help. One more quick break. We got to go through a few news and notes. We've got some hitting and maybe even a few uh, 2020 emails. So quick break right here on Fantasy Baseball today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Bo Bichette was removed from Thursday's game against the Orioles for a precautionary concussion test. Bichette was hit by a pitch on, uh, on the helmet in the sixth inning. He remained in the game, though, to run the bases, and then he was pulled in the seventh. It looks like it's on the safe side, but that would be a brutal blow to what has been a really just solid back half of the year for the rookie who has vaulted up his rank, uh, you know, his 2020 ranks. I know you're going to have him pretty aggressive. So be on the lookout for that. But where are you going to have, where do you think he's going to be a short, as far as shortstop ranks for 2020? Well, it's a pretty deep position. A lot of high end hitters. I haven't done it yet. I've only done first, second. I mean, I've only done catcher first and second. So I can't say 
for sure. But I would guess he's in my top 20. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Definitely in the top 20. I meant to say 12. I don't know why 20 I was came about out. To say, I was like, because it's one o'clock in the morning. was less <laughs> climactic. <laughs> so top 12. Yes. I have him ninth rest of seat, whatever that means, rest of seat. Oh, sure. Well, you know, put him a lot but lower yeah. because he might miss a game or two. Uh, Colton Wong was forced to leave Thursday's game against a Cub with a left hamstring injury. The problem here is that was what um, caused him to miss time last year. So this could be one of those situations where he's been a fun pickup, but you might need to make a quick move. Don't wait around. I don't know why you would either way. Uh, a couple of the returns we were teasing or talked about it. Anthony Rizzo, to my shock, surprisingly, was in the lineup. The guy was in a boot. The other day, he ran around the bases and they put him in and sure enough, went one for three, hitting his 27th homer. And then Giancarlo Stanton had returned on Wednesday. He was batting fifth on Wednesday, went one for three on Thursday night. They hit him second, but he went 0 for three. So, I mean, both are just shocks to me at this point. I do wonder, I still have been looking at the Stanton one and going, man, it's going to be really brutal for people that might still be in it that have Stanton that are putting him in his lineup. And imagine if he just goes over the rest of this way through. You waited all this time, you put Stanton in immediately, and then you just get absolutely nothing out of him in this last final run. I'm going to say he's not going to go over. I mean, he did have a double first game back, right? So, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I guess I was picking um, on tonight. Yeah, that seems a pretty pessimistic view. But the <laughs> Yankees do have five games next week. And they're actually my second worst matchups for any team next week. So I think three outfielder leagues, you probably better off just leaving Stanton where he is. Five outfielder leagues, I could see using him. Uh, Domingo Herman uh, should be probably done for the year. He's got some nasty uh, allegation stuff, and there's a whole bunch of weird stuff with it. But, you know, Yankees, if you were depending on him, I probably wouldn't the rest of the way. Lorenzo Cain exited Thursday's game against the Padres in the fifth inning. Look for that. Cole Hamels is not going to start on Sunday against the Cardinals due to fatigue in his left shoulder, which is brutal for people. A couple quick hitting things. We might get to an email or two. I know we focused a lot on pitching, but I, I felt that was probably more prevalent for us to, to hit, you know, get a lot of pitching stuff in because I don't know how you guys are going with hitting. But over the last uh, week over on CBS, no shock at the three hitters you would expect. It's the same guys that we've been talking about. It's all rookies. Kyle Lewis, Sean Murphy, and Nico Horner in that order were the top three most added hitters. Kyle Lewis is, you know, continues to just be on a thing. He was one for two with a walk on Thursday, but on Wednesday he hit his fifth homer. He's been crazy. But I have got two guys I want to get your take on. One is very small. Uh, one is very little owned. The other is in almost the fifty percent range. And I ask you, the first one, Tommy Edmond, forty nine percent owned. He's got three hundred average with five homers, four stolen bases in September, coming into Thursday, and he went two for four on Thursday. Does Tommy Edmond need to be owned, or is Tommy Edmond under owned for this final week? Yeah, I could say he's under owned. He's in my top ten sleeper hitters for the final week, in part because. He's a hot hand, I think, with a high floor from week to week. I don't particularly love the Cardinals matchups, but they're not bad. The Mariners have bad matchups. So Kyle Lewis, I don't know. I'd be uncomfortable using him. Maybe in a five outfielder league, he's still your best choice. But I'm not going to call him a sleeper. not going to call. Did you name the other guy yet? Shed Long. Yeah, that's my other guy. Yeah, so yeah. Shed, so that that's interesting because you just said that about the Mariners. Let me just throw yeah. Shed out here. Shed, uh, my guy who uh, 
you know, in Reds camp when he was in the Reds, when I'd be out there, they called him Big League Shed because he's got a big old power bat, questionable defense. He's like a skinnier Willie Calhoun is a way to kind of mentally wrap your head around him. Uh, he went three for five with two RBIs on Thursday, and he's on a seven-game hit streak. Six of those seven games have been multi-hit. Two homers, five RBIs in that time, and he was in the leadoff spot. He's got Baltimore this weekend, no game on Monday, and then Houston and Oakland. So I just wanted to throw all of those out to see if, from a really deep league option, Shed did anything for you. The Baltimore matchups are solid. I love him in the leadoff spot. He's on an absolute tear right now. There might be some dead weight on some rosters where you could take a shot at Shed Long for at least a Baltimore weekend, I don't, and, but you don't seem optimistic yeah. about the final week. No, I mean, it would have to be a deeper league, I think, where you consider that. Uh, I, he, he hasn't, he, he, he did show some power in the minors and four and 112 at bats. I mean, that's okay, I guess, but the, like, the way his batted ball profile has looked during his time in the majors, it, it doesn't really look like that of a power hitter. His ex woba is 267. And he's been getting some multi-hit games recently, but the strikeout rate isn't great. I'm not, I'm not super encouraged by what I've seen from Shed Long, though. He he does have some upside. I just don't think it's going to be of much use right now. And I, and the only thing I would counter is there's definitely power upside in the future. The thing that is going to not allow him to tap into it is if he continues to get beat. If he's going to continue to have um, poor pitch recognition, he's never going to tap into it. But Shed Long. 100% is a 20-plus homer potential guy. Unfortunately, he doesn't steal bases like he used to, so he's just yep. one of those guys where it's like, all right, where does 20 homers, middle infield without stolen bases and risk of a poor average, what does that really do for you? That's his struggle, but he's really on a heater right now. That's why I wanted to point him out. Sure. Um, I'll point out also that Sean Murphy and Nico Horner, like Tommy Edmond, are, are in my top 10 sleeper hitters for this week. They're actually both ahead of Edmund on that list. Go check out that list. Uh, where can people, when can people get it? Are you tweeting that bad boy out? Is that out already now, or is it coming up here on uh, Friday? It'll be up on Friday morning, I assume, unless they have to get to some Facebook football stuff first, but at some point Friday. Okay, we'll be on yeah. the lookout for that for all your hitting needs. Quick, a couple quick ones, fantasybaseballcbsi.com. There's only one more show, so get whatever you need for the final week. And if you got some 2020 takes, we'll probably do some of those. Let's just do two here. Dear James, Kirk, Cliff, and Lars. Mm, is that Metallica? Because of Lars? I think it is. I, James Headfield okay. would be the same. Yeah, I'm confident this is Metallica. Very, okay. very good. Uh, I feel like we don't hear much about Charlie Blackman, considering how he's gone from number 25 preseason rank to being tied for 54th in home runs this year and possibly finishing with fewer home runs than last year even with everyone's favorite ball. He was a centerpiece of my home uh, my home run game this year in a 5x5 Roto Keeper League. His elite power was mostly absent in the draft. I can keep him one more year at a price that was higher than the average auction value, but considering, uh, but considerably lower than my league average inflation for a top 50 player. So what say you? I was essentially asking, is Charlie Blackman worth the overpay because he seems to have underperformed in his eyes? Not yeah, my not my words. Uh, that's amazing that he is that low with 29 home runs. He's that low. Uh, 55th. He says he's tied for 54th. I mean, I'll point out he has the same number of home runs as Javier Baez, Reese Hoskins. Uh, you know, you know it's just one behind Manny Machado, two behind Miguel Sano. I, I mean, you know, it, it's not going to take much to move him from. 55th to 30 uh, to 25th 
So I, I don't know. I, you have to consider the full spectrum of production if you're just assessing him on home runs. I mean, he's basically a surefire 300 hitter who's going to score 110, 120 runs for the, batting at the top of the Rockies lineup. I, I've actually been surprised how low he's going in early season mock drafts because I still view him as like a second round type hitter. Yeah, I got him I've in seen the him third. Going to like round four. Yeah, I got him in the third of uh, I think my uh, ITL early mock, third or fourth. Yeah, he really is going lower right now. I mean, I'll take perceived value being lower. I do, I do think it'll adjust though. Two quick hitter ones. Flaherty hit two, 200 strikeouts this weekend, and Bueller has also hit 2K. In my opinion, I would want to draft Flaherty over Bueller. Can we have your take on both starting pitchers, Scott? I guess that's I'm fine with that. I mean, obviously, ultimate upside, I think, is very similar. Bueller, we've basically seen him dominate at that level for a year and a half, while Flaherty's been more like half a year. So just from that standpoint, I would lean Bueller. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot more of these like 14-plus strikeout games from Bueller than we've seen from Flaherty, too. So I think maybe... Bueller's best might be a little better, but they're going to be that they're they're going to be basically in the same tier, I think, next year. So it's not a huge difference. I only want to throw this last one in, even though I said there was only there was only going to be two. It's just because we talked about this guy. Padres pitcher. This is from Russ in Maine. Am I crazy to consider keeping Danellison Lamette over Chris Paddock? Lamette is five dollars, Paddock is nineteen dollars. And I love his last part where he just says, I miss Adam. <laughs> Sorry, <sighs> I'm I'm not so sure you would have to pay much more than five dollars to get Lamette back. Would you have to pay much more than 19 to get Paddock back? Absolutely, you would. I wonder what kind of format this is. But yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't give us enough of the info, but you have to imagine right. what aces are probably if we just want to talk standards, what are aces going to go in the 40s? So yeah, there's got to at least I, I would say Paddock is going for between 25 and 35. Lamette's going between one dollar and eight dollars and he's probably one of those guys that ends up being a back end of an auction um, cheaper priced pitcher well so it gets tricky is, when you factor in everybody's keepers because you know presumably they're keeping guys who are undervalued so that leaves more money out there to be spent so auction values get inflated uh, i mean what's paddock going to be in my starting pitcher rankings next year like 30th probably something yeah, like that really yeah okay Right? Unless I'm forgetting I mean, something. Maybe maybe more like 25th. Yeah, I, I would say I, I'm going to probably have him in the top 25 range. I he's, can't imagine I'm going to have 25 pitchers valued at more than $20, but whatever. Paddock. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking Paddock as well, and I'm sorry you miss Adam. There's a great one where someone tweeted, hey, I hadn't listened a little bit. Uh, where are you, Adam? And Adam's like, oh, I'm you know doing this, and but the Welsh is on. <laughs> and then the guy's response, this is all the guy's response. Are you coming back? <laughs> my favorite thing. I was like, hi, I'm right here, but it's all good. Well, you guys probably only have to endure me one more show because we've only got one left. It is on Sunday or Monday, actually, technically for you guys. It's the Monday episode. We will prep you for the week. So we're going to have to kind of get that all in line here. We will take your questions, fantasybaseballcbsi.com, whatever you got for the week or whatever you need for the 2020 season. I have a feeling we'll be able to probably touch on some uh, 2020 stuff a little bit more than usual. We did okay in the last episode. I'd like to at least get a handful of these. So feel free, send those questions in, fantasybaseballcbsi.com, and we got your back. Thank you guys for everything. Good luck to every single one of you this weekend. I hope everything we talked about in the episode is going to help you get moving on to the next round or pulling in a championship until then friendos we will talk to you on monday for the final one me and scott white but we're out of here
Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.